0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a little bit to the left. No, no, down. Right. Right
0: there. What Don't... are you doing?
1: Oh, hi. Why are you here?
0: We got a podcast. I'm drinking. It's it's 1240. We're going to go
1: okay um hold on just a second hey keep it down I got something to do
0: are you still renovating
1: no <laughs> why would you say that
0: just don't All right, we'll, ha- we'll handle this later we'll handle this later Jay please uh roll the intro. Welcome to the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, over here in New York, renting out uh, temporarily an office space uh, over at the BDGE headquarters. You guys are familiar with BDGE, great fantasy channel here on YouTube. Uh, I'm popping by in the city for a week or so, and they so graciously offered this space to me. EJ is still back in Seattle, uh, working on something. You want to share with the class, EJ, what you're doing? No, not yet. No soon no. <laughs> no, big big
1: things. Super secret top secret bootleg upgrades big time. Good stuff. Um yes. How much in the did you of spend
0: it? by the way? We didn't actually talk don't, about how much it's going to cost.
1: Don't look at the checking account. Just just look at the pretty <laughs> pictures at the end.
0: All right, uh, underdog, if you're watching this, we're going to need more money. <laughs>
1: I already sent I already sent Nick a plea. No, he knows. He knows. He's all behind it. He's 100% good. Actually, I told him that you said yes, and you that he said yes, so it'll all work out.
0: You, you parent-trapped us? Is that what you said? A did? little bit. A little bit. Okay, well, we might as well do a show to try to generate some revenue to pay for your freaking house. Um, so today, we're doing Two Truths and a Lie with the preseason so far. Keep in mind, we're recording this right before week three of the preseason which is when we expect a lot of the starters to not play. So these points ideally should hold up uh, by the time this comes out next week. But if it doesn't, you know, somebody spontaneously can bust on the field. Obviously, we'll record some kind of addendum. But uh, for now, two truths and a lie. The lie being, if you watch the offseason series, maybe we said something that we expected to happen that so far through two games in August has not happened at all and so we unintentionally lied to you folks not on purpose but we do tend to do that sometimes uh before we get into it though uh ej how you feeling have you recovered yet no
1: everybody keeps wishing us sleep which is very nice and we do deeply appreciate it uh we're glad you love the content it was super fun to make yes it was very hard and yes we're very tired i went directly and i do mean directly like 24 hours later i was tearing holes in my walls so um i've had my head down going super hard doing construction stuff during the day doing project management stuff at night to make sure we have materials and everything for the next day um but it's gonna be worth it it's gonna be really cool but i yeah no not not a lot of rest on this end how you doing
0: uh i also basically just didn't didn't rest (laughs) at all like (laughs) Even though like I went, quote unquote, on vacation, uh, you know, I was in I was in Mexico for four days. We went for a long weekend. Um, I was still working for Mexico, too. So <laughs> it was like, eh, was it wasn't really a vacation. Yeah. Not really. One of these. in days. my defense, though, we were supposed to go in July and then that ended up not happening. So then we went in the middle of preseason. So it's kind of my own fault. But, you know, it is what it is. I had a nice little marguerite on the beach while watching film. It's not like I can really complain that <laughs> so,
1: much. Perfect combination. Very bootleg.
0: Uh, Speaking of watching film, by the way, uh, what I was watching was in preparation for this show, and I was going through all of the rookie receivers to see how they were doing, and my first truth is something that we talked about every time we talked about a rookie receivers. We were going team by team by team. Um, And we were beating the drum consistently that this rookie receiver class, which was slandered I think is the best word to use um people were saying it was a down year it was a weak (laughs) class you know that oh just wait wait till next year that's when we're finally going to get good receivers again and uh so far the early returns not just in preseason but in camp and otas and the entire summer is these kids are ready and if you look at all of the young receivers that have gotten playing time, like Quentin Johnson has flashed. JSN has flashed. Zay Flowers just flashed last week, which we all kind of expected, right? The, the top guys. But, um, you know, even people down the board, A.T. Perry, who you and I were huge fans of, had a, a big opening week in the preseason. Um, like, I got trying to... Demario Douglas has consistently been brought up. I was uh, waiting Ronnie for Ronnie Bell. Yep. Um, Andre Yoshivis, who's somebody who I wasn't like the biggest Yoshivis guy, but he's shown up for the Bengals consistently. Even freaking Jake Bobo <laughs> has made plays. So I, I think uh, it was premature to say that this rookie receiver class was not up to snuff. Uh, and if you watched our whole offseason series, I hopefully you came away with that idea going into the preseason, but I think now it's very clear uh, two or three weeks into August that These kids are ready. They're going to play early as long as they stay healthy, and they're going to be productive. They're going to contribute,
1: and I think that is something that we said was going to happen for sure, and they're going to contribute early, and it's funny because the preseason has a way of amping up, creating preseason heroes that then don't do anything in the season. There is a long history of that i don't think that's entirely true here but i think it's sort of partially true so our truth is a little bit of a lie too Like Zay has been pretty quiet. He had his little bump last week, but of all the other guys, like lots of other folks are getting more press than him. And everybody's just kind of, everybody that knows is just like, wait till the regular season. Cause he's one, I think that actually will be the reverse. His preseason has been a little bit quiet. His regular season is going to be very strong. JSN preseason has been good. Yes. He had the injury, but I think when he comes back on the field, we've seen. It's going to be very strong. So he might be one of the consistent ones. And then there are some guys who are getting a lot of play right now because, look, you play a lot of depth in the preseason. You play against a lot of depth in the preseason. And they might look really good right now, and they might end up the year with, you know, 180 receiving yards and maybe a touchdown because that's typical for a, you know, third, fourth, fifth string rookie wide receiver. But in general, there is a lot of talent, and we're going to see this year after year. Mina made this point. A bunch of other people have made this point that the growth of 7-on-7 camps, passing Mm -hmm. camps— Wide open offenses in high school means more polished receivers hitting college, and then even if they don't finish out their college career, even if they're only there for two or three years, they come out ready to play in the league, and there isn't that adaptation period that we used to see five and ten years ago, where it took a year for receivers to get up to speed and the complexity. They're, They're coming out running a lot of the same concepts, oftentimes, that they ran in college. And they are ready to hit the field. We've seen it for the last two years. We're going to see it again this year.
0: Also, uh, side note, this tangentially related. If you see uh, the letters OSU next to a receiver, (laughs) just say they're going to be good. Like, easiest scouting report ever. Did they play for Brian Hartline? Yes. They're going to be good. It's automatic at this point. Uh, Best receiver coach in the country. I would say, at least at the college level. NFL has got some great receiver coaches, but college receiver coaches right now, it's Brian Hartline and everybody else. And I'm he just going to put guy. a plug in right now, super early. Ameko <laughs> Buka. Yep local kid for you, right? Yeah, I
1: just, I didn't realize that he played locally to me in high school. He played down at Stilcombe, but uh, I ran into somebody here locally that asked me about him and I spoke glowingly about him because I think he's going to, again, be one of those sort of shadow sleepers. Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to get all the press. Mecca Buka was really good last year. I think he's going to be really good again this year. I just, I think he has a chance to tickle the bottom end of the first round. Um, And that's look, that's all preseason, but I think he's a really strong receiver and I'm just going to put my stake in the ground that everybody's going to be looking at Marvin Harrison and rightfully so like could be the number one overall pick next year. Again, Brian Hartline just churns him out, but a Buka, booker. Remember the name. It's very, very good wide receiver going to be productive as well.
0: Well, if they are wide receiver, you, um, I would say that Wisconsin's pushing for pass rusher you at this point, too, because Jim Leonard's just cranking them out now at a heavy, heavy pace. Uh, And the Steelers got two of them on the roster this year. And that's your number one truth, which is that Keanu Benton and Herbig together uh, are absolutely beating the shit out of people.
1: Yeah, they're the new dynamic duo on Pitt's defense, so to steal one of your analogies, Batman and Robin, but they kind of look like Batman and Batman. Uh, (laughs) They're both stirring the drink. Now... I'm going to claim three quarters correct, or three out of four correct on these two. I liked both of them as players a lot. Loved Benton. He was, uh, I believe, one of my defensive gems. Tough to remember since the SEC decided to erase that episode for us. But anyways, if we went back to the phantom film, pretty sure he was one of my defensive gems. Um, and he, I, we said he was going to Excel right out of the gate, and that's been proven true. So, like the player, and yes, the performance is matched up. That's two for two. Herbig liked the player a lot, but I actually thought he would make a better inside linebacker. And a lot of people said why. And I'd looked at all his pass rush coverage snaps, of which there were not many. They didn't ask him to do it a lot, but he was very good in those. And I actually thought he would be a great multifaceted player that could rush the passer again from an inside linebacker spot. Well, fast forward to August. I'm an idiot. The Steelers are a lot smarter. They kept him at edge. He's showing unreal bend and just annihilating guys when Benton doesn't get to him from the inside. So, um, both players that look like they have a very strong future in a very strong culture of defensive pass rush in Pittsburgh. And
0: yeah, three out of four ain't bad when it comes to draft analysis. He was one of the first players, not just pass rushers, but players that I watched in this class period. Um, because I started watching edges as my first position. And I literally just went onto PFF and I sorted by pass rush win rate. And I was like, let me just see the guys that win a lot that are eligible. And he was at the top, you know, he was like 26, 27% pass rush win rate started with him. um, (laughs) I I did a, I did a cut up of like all his pressures. And I was like, that kid's really good. And in my dumb January, it was like, I think before we even went to Shrine Bowl, it's like my dumb January. I've watched like 20 guys. Here's a little like top 10 mock draft of just like dudes that I've watched. And I put Herbig in the top 10 and everybody's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I watched him. He's pretty good. Uh, and then I was a coward and and backed off that. And then, you know, I, I kept moving him down the board because I kept finding reasons to move him down. Like, ah, He's not the biggest guy. He didn't test super well. But I kept in my head going back to the film of, yeah, but he won a lot. Next thing you know, he goes to the NFL. He's a mid-round pick. And his pass rush win rate is still like 26, 27 percent in the preseason. And he's still kicking the crap out of everybody, despite not being the biggest, despite not um, at least on paper being a great tester. But then you watch him on the field and his first step is ridiculous. So uh, I'm kind of kicking myself for for backing off the Herbig hype. Uh, I, I feel like I, I should have kept beating that drum because sometimes sometimes the first guy you watch really is one of the best guys you watch and you don't even realize it.
1: We have those guys every year, and it's a great point to make about draft analysis and, and self-scouting as a draft analyst and going back. and um, Either guys that you were really hot on and you stayed really hot on when you kind of felt like you were wavering and you should have put them down, we all have those. And then vice versa, guys like Herbig, who you maybe watch early before you have a lot of context or – You know, a group think just doesn't have them that much higher. And it does take some courage to say, nah, my eyes tell me something different. The analytics, when I combine them with what I see on tape, I think people are missing it. And that's where you can kind of truly elevate those real sleepers. But it takes some courage to do it because you will get shouted down for it. And we all have players. I certainly have a laundry list of players that I'm like, nah, I should have. I should have. I should have pushed him up the board. I should have kept him up the board instead of finding reasons to kind of drop him down. Because, again, as you go and watch more players, you just find more data and you kind of sometimes you forget. It's a recency bias thing. I just watched this guy last night and he's great. And, you know, maybe he slips in a spot above and all of a sudden that guy's at eighth or ninth when he should be up at fourth or fifth.
0: We learn from it. We learn our lessons every year. And uh, I'm going to try to carry that one with me into the 2024 (laughs) class and probably fail miserably at it.
1: I feel like sometimes the uh, the MIB guys show up and show you the little shiny silver <laughs> stick. You're like, here's all the lessons. Brett looking at it like, you will love too many rookies next year. You're like, yeah, I will love too many rookies next
0: year. Just give me all the mid-round running backs that I'm just going to fall <laughs> in love with hopelessly. Today's episode is brought to you by ButcherBox, and I know a lot of you might be familiar with what ButcherBox is already, right? It's a subscription service where you can essentially create either custom or curated monthly delivery boxes of grass-fed beef or crate free chicken or wild-caught seafood or pork, et cetera, et cetera. Saves you a trip to the grocery store, basically, and everyone already knows that. But what you might not know is that they're also a great resource for learning how to cook amazing recipes for yourself. They literally have a whole tab on their website dedicated to a bunch of incredible recipes created by a lot of different chefs for pretty much any cut of meat you can think of. So you can go through all of those different recipes and get inspired to make something delicious that maybe you've never done before. And then if you want the convenience, you can just stay on ButcherBox's website and make up a box of all of those different cuts that you want to cook based on those recipes, and they'll just send it right to you. I've cooked a lot of meals with meat from ButcherBox myself. I mean, I get boxes every month and I've always gotten very good quality cuts, which of course I've turned into some fantastic dinners and lunches for me and my wife. So if you guys are a meat eater yourself, or if you're just a home chef that wants some inspiration for how to cook meat in a new way that you haven't tried before, if you order from ButcherBox and use our promo code BOOTLEG to get literally any order, whether it's a custom box or a curated one, you will also get free salmon in every box for three months and $20 off that first order to boot. So that's about a hundred bucks worth of free salmon. So it's a really good deal. And again, you get access to that by using our promo code bootleg over at butcherbox.com bootleg. And you also get that $20 off your first order. So I guess what I'm trying to say overall is that if you like to cook at home and you're probably gonna end up buying a bunch of meat anyway, try buying it from ButcherBox. Uh, it's a really easy experience. You don't have to go to the store. It's high quality cuts and it's a good price. You might like it, so just give them a shot. Uh, Anyway, thank you to ButcherBox for sponsoring today's show. And with that, let's get back to it. All right, back here with two truths and a lie. I'm on my second truth. And again, we were harping on this over and over and over again during the offseason series, more so with the the mid to late round rookie quarterbacks than we were on some of the veteran backup quarterbacks. But we kept saying we really like DTR. We really like Aiden O'Connell. The Houston kid. Uh, name escaping me that you were obsessed with uh oh toon clayton Tune clayton toon you ej was the biggest clayton toon guy i've ever seen um hainer we talked about is like hey there could be something there he definitely fits their type right for yeah. not super big but very accurate very smart um you know mobile quarterback that's probably going to be like a chase daniel type all of those guys seem to have hit so far Not saying that hit as starters, but hit as, hey, we got a young kid that if we absolutely have to throw him in there because the starter gets injured, we're not screwed, right? And so my second truth is there are tons of good backup quarterbacks around the league, and it feels like that kind of crept up on us because there's a bunch of young quarterbacks that have populated – around the league that are backing up starters and that we do feel good about uh and that if somebody gets hurt knock on wood it's not going to ruin the season you know and i feel like it it used to be okay here's like the the five elite quarterbacks here's the five to seven mid-tier quarterbacks there's half the league that's completely boned and then if any of those good quarterbacks get hurt, those teams are also completely boned. Like there's more good quarterbacks now than maybe there ever has been. I don't just mean that for starters. And I think that's also a consequence of hey, seven on seven. These, these guys are throwing 10,000 passes before they even get to college. They're coming into college more prepared than they ever have been. They're coming into the pros more prepared than they ever have been. And, there's only 32 starting spots, but there's more than 32 guys that could start. And this right now, I think, is the first time that I've ever truly believed that. That there are more starting capable quarterbacks than there are starting slots in the NFL. Doesn't mean all of them are Justin Herbert. Doesn't mean all of them are Joe Burrow. But, you know, if Aiden O'Connell had to start six games this year for the Raiders, they'd be fine they would be totally fine. I really do believe that.
1: And they might find something really good. And that sort of hope for the backup quarterback pool in general hasn't been there. I'm with you there. And I think this is sort of trickle down economics for quarterbacks. We got, there was a period where there was
0: (laughs) Reaganomics for quarterbacks.
1: That's right. hundred (laughs) percent. So at, you were talking about those top five elite starters and then, there were maybe five guys after that and then the rest of the league was just in the looking for help category. Everybody mm-hmm. was like we if there's an upgrade we'll take it, but there's no upgrades because there's a scarcity, nobody lets them go. Um, you know, you didn't ever even see things like the rust trade because nobody let go of an established starter because there was nowhere else to go. Then we got this new influx of starting talent. We got, you know, Pat, we got Herbert and we got Josh Allen and we got you know even starting back to Lamar a little bit was a little bit of a surprise and oh obviously a starter cool and that started to push like okay we're replenishing the starter ranks and then on top of that good quarterbacks just kept coming and now yeah there might be more quarterbacks than there are seats i I'd, I'd disagree with you a little bit I'd say we're at about 25 or 28 but there are actually decent backups around the league like aiden who i would kind of like to see start like dtr and if it crept up on us at all this year i think it's because of the guys around the edges dtr you and i were on him for sure aiden we talked to him at shrine bowl we were pretty we were pretty hyped about the fact that he was going to be what he is a very good backup with a chance to come in and support and could start in a pinch but then there's these other guys, like Tune, who I was on, like Hayner, who I really liked but was really afraid of the injuries. And he's just – he's shown it in his preseason games with the Saints. He's just a gamer. He's a guy that will mm-hmm. extend the play and do some crazy stuff, and then right before he gets annihilated, like, oh, look, it's a 20-yard completion. And you're like, yeah, he just does that stuff over and over again if you look at his Fresno State film and, again – Kalen, who's now the head coach at UW, was the guy that really brought Jake into the spotlight and he was doing that stuff. You know, Kalen left and went to UW last year. Jake's spotlight, you know, decreased a little bit. But again, if you're watching those Fresno State wide receivers or Jordan Mims or anybody else, you're like, man, Jake Hayner, he's still, there's still something there. He's still got a spark. And then all the Bears fans are going to get on me if I don't mention Tyson Bajan. I was not a big Tyson Bajan guy. Oh, he's
0: come out of fucking
1: nowhere. I was not a big Tyson Bagent guy. Yes, he was yeah. incredibly productive at Shepard. Uh, you know, went to the Senior Bowl, watched all that stuff, and it still it didn't it didn't light me up. He's looked better, and again, that means coachable. That means he's learning really fast because of throwing a lot at him. I guarantee the Bears playbook is you know gets playbook is quite a bit different than Shepard's, but he's looked calm. He's looked poised. He's looked accurate. He's been on time. It has not looked too big for him. And that, to me, is kind of a stunner. So when you start to add those guys around the edges like Toon and Bajit, and all of a sudden there's four or five guys from this class, not two or three guys from this class that look like they fit in this category, and that indeed has crept up on me a little bit.
0: I also think, you know, when I say, oh, there's more starting caliber guys than there are starting slots. A lot of the pushback that I think I would even get from our own audience on that is people have different definitions of what of what starting caliber is. Right. And yes. so there's a lot of people where like, you know, the Dalton line was a thing for a long time. Like you either have Dalton or above that or you look there were guys below the Dalton line that if your roster was good enough, you could go on runs with. And that, that line still exists now, and, and somehow that line has now crept up to, like, Kirk Cousins at, like, the 10 to 12 spot, where it's like, if you don't have a top 12 quarterback, you're, you're screwed. Keep looking. And, like, I understand that, but the, the difference between the guys at the very top of the league... And the guys that are below that line is that the guys at the very top of the league, you're okay with paying them, and you're okay with paying the price for paying them, which is less roster depth, because you know they can make up that gap all by themselves. And the guys below that line, you don't want to pay that much money because you feel like you need the roster depth around them to make it work. Like, that's really what the line is, is can they carry the team or can they not? Bucky and DJ call it trucks versus trailers. You don't want to overpay a trailer truck money, right? But that doesn't mean that they're not starting caliber. It's just starting caliber with a caveat, starting caliber with a good roster. You know, um, Geno Smith, I mean, he's more than starting caliber. He's, He's legitimately good. But, you know, last year he wasn't paid a lot of money, but the Seahawks had a lot of talent around him. In my opinion, it was young talent, but it was talent. And he was able to maximize all of the talent they had and go on a go on a little bit of a run there and put themselves in good position. Um, you know, you look at, uh, like Joe Flacco, (laughs) young Joe Flacco, when the Ravens were absolutely loaded, was he ever an amazing quarterback? No, but he was good enough that when that roster was really rocking and rolling around him, they were able to go on runs. You know, Ryan Tannehill is probably the more modern example. Like when that Tennessee roster was at its peak, they were able to go on a run, do a, a conference championship game with him. So just because Ryan Tannehill is not a top 12 quarterback doesn't mean he's not starting caliber. It just means he's starting caliber with the right pieces around him. And I think there's a lot of guys in the NFL that are like Ryan Tannehill, that if the team is around him, they can go on a run. The hard part is building that team. The margin for error is razor thin. If you have one of the elite guys that can make up for not having an elite roster, your margin for error is wider. That's why those guys make 50 plus million a year is because it makes GMs sleep a lot better at night. That's my spiel. I, I
1: believe your spiel. Like I, the, the line for, you talked about a line. Everybody has their own line. I think that line has changed and it is hard and it's, in my opinion the top end of that is influenced by the nfl super weapons by the mahomes by the owens mm-hmm. by the guys that can literally do it pretty much on their own yes it's still 11 aside but if you have a difference maker like that other gms are looking around going hey what are we going to do to compete with that and you know the sort of chess analogy is hey you've got that piece i want that piece too well there's I got a bunch of other little pieces maybe I can go after your big piece is a, is a different strategy and that's the one you talked about with building up the team uh, you know two different approaches but it's very tantalizing to look at one of those and go man I want one of those <laughs> like it would just can I have one of those and the answer is no not everybody can have one so other people have to take a different approach but therefore that line changes and you know your approach to roster building your approach to scouting your approach to paying your quarterback for sure has to change as well
0: What is your number two truth?
1: My number two truth is Dalton Kincaid. Dalton Kincaid is the damn truth. I've been saying this since before the (laughs) draft, and mostly it's about how he's looked since he hit the league. We thought that he was going to be pretty good. Buffalo is an interesting landing spot for him because they already had a tight end that they really like and believe in and use quite a bit in Dawson Knox. But Dalton Kincaid brings a different level to that offense. And really, I think the designation is a misnomer. If you are thinking of him purely as a rookie tight end, you're not thinking of him properly. Think of him as a rookie receiver. And I just mean receiving threat. Now, you can line him up in the slide. You can line him about wide if you want to, and he can burn corners. Um, but that's not really what makes him special. And he talked about DJ Bucky. DJ said that Dalton Kincaid looks the same versus the pros that he did in college. He said it's the same guy. And he's right. Number one, he's correct. Number two, that's rare stuff. Mm-hmm. To have any player, no matter how skilled, make the jump from college to pros, which is significant. Every rookie talks about it. The speed of the game, the size of the game, the impact, uh, the mental load, all that. To have a guy look the same hitting the league is rare and special. And Kincaid has looked exactly the same on Buffalo's preseason film as he did against top-flight opponents in the Pac-12. Like, he has not skipped a beat. His feel-in zone is amazing. His ability to set up defenders, especially poor linebackers. Oh, can we just... Can we <laughs> start a, like, GoFundMe for linebackers who get their ass beat by Dalton Kincaid? Because there's going to be a lot of them. They're going to need some help this year. It's not fair. He is roasting those guys, especially if he's going against the second or third tiers of the opponents. It's, it's not a fair gunfight. So... Dalton Kincaid looks like one of those guys just like all the receivers you mentioned that is going to hit the ground running is going to be impactful and is going to play that role for Buffalo that really gives them another high octane receiving option now you know Dawson Knox is a more well rounded tight end and he is a very good red zone threat in his own right so Dawson Knox isn't going anywhere it's just now you've got another one and we see those offenses in the NFL that are multiple uh, and can go to their left hand if their right hand gets shut down, and that is this for for Buffalo. If you're going to lock down Stephon Diggs, if you're going to pull a Fangio and say, look, Stephon Diggs is not going to be the guy that's going to beat us, you can now pivot to adult Kincaid and say, hey, we're going to start feeding him, and he's going to hurt you enough. You're going to have to pivot back, so we're going to be back in control. We're going to be dictating.
0: I think in regards to the blocking thing, I think he can block, Uh but it's got to be against certain body types. And they've almost kind of used him, and he's a sort of – he's a little bit bigger, but he's a sort of similar size to, like, Ben Skoranek with Uh the Rams. Skoranek, people don't realize, is, like, 230, 235. He's a big dude. Um, And, you know, putting him in the backfield and using him as, like, an insert on, like, insert zone. Get him on a linebacker, right? Uh, Get him on a safety. If you're asking him to line up as a Y and dig out – a 275-pound defensive end, that's not going to work. If you're asking him to, you know, go across the backside as, on, like, a sift block for a split zone, he can maybe do it, depending on the edge he's doing it against. You know, if he's doing it against, like, Rashawn Gary, good Lord, please no. If he's doing it against Nick Herbig, okay, yeah, we we, we can make that work, right? Because it's the size-on-size size comparison, I think, is, is okay. So, there are... Sp- Certain circumstances and certain looks and play calls where I think he can block, but it's not what we're paying him for. We're paying him to go get us third and eight, right? Like that's what he does. Um, And he's already really damn good at it. So I'd be willing to bet that the Bills play a lot of 12 personnel this year that isn't really 12 personnel and teams just play nickel. At all times, because they just they don't want to risk putting a linebacker on him. Uh, I I would bet the Bills have more nickel played against them than any other team this year, because even their 12 personnel looks are not really 12. I'm going to coin a term for Dalton Kincaid's blocking
1: or blocking style getting in the way. (laughs) No, no, I think it's different. Like, yes, there's that's the classic one for tight ends that can't block. I'm going to call him a dynamic blocker. If you mm. have him in motion, the dynamism is motion, right? Mm. If you line him up as a wide slot, power slot, whatever, start him motioning into the formation and basically have him crack, you know, or go all the way across and, again, like you said, pick up a space player, pick up a force player, pick up, pick off a star, you know, who's in the way of the lane of the run you want to pull off, like – he can do that like he is big enough with a head of steam and it's that dynamism it's the motion right he has to be moving but if you just set him down in front of somebody and from a standstill say go against somebody that is used to that it doesn't look good for him so that dynamism is really important can you move him around can you put him in space can you Can you give him a head start? It's almost like the CFL rules for wide receivers, right? Put him five yards behind the line, give him a running head start, and he's going to do something for you. Uh, Can't exactly do that in the NFL, but you can move him around, so I'm with you. They're going to play a lot of two tight end personnel that is more like three wide receiver personnel. All
0: right, we're back on the show now, and we are getting into our lies. Again, these are not intentional lies. These are just things that we thought (laughs) – pretty strongly about when we were doing the off season series that so far has maybe not uh, totally been true for me. My lie is that Iki Ikuanu is ready for superstardom, you know, in the, in the Panthers episode, we were talking him up quite a bit because he is exceptionally talented. He's a great run blocker. Um, you know, his pressure allowed percentage last year was pretty low. And in terms of athletic comparisons, we're like, Hey, this is kind of like Trent Williams esque type physical profile. It's a big word to throw around. Trent Williams, comparing any tackle to him, right? Might be the best tackle of his generation. Uh, so far in the preseason, in 18 pass block snaps, he's given up four pressures. It has not looked great. And I went through and I watched every single one of those pass rush reps uh, last night uh, and especially focused on the pressures that he gave up. And I I do want to uh, give context here. I'm not saying that he is going to have a bad year. I'm not saying that he is going to get Bryce Young killed. What I'm saying is that there are some fundamental flaws that he is working through right now that are fixable, that can be fixed, even before week one, they can be fixed. But if they are not fixed, the Panthers could be in for a rough year. So what am I talking about here? If you look at his four pressures that he gave up, particularly against the Jets and the Giants so far, as of the time of me recording this, the first one, It was on a stunt where he kind of, and again, I think it's more of a communication issue with his guards. He kind of short set it a little bit like he he was doing a kick set, but he shortened it up like he didn't get depth. He didn't have that kind of explosive first step that we saw him have last year. So he lost levels with the guard like he was not deep enough to then handle the pass off from the guard Uh, on a little like te game that they were running so the guard basically which might have been savala now that i remember it um the guard basically had no shot because icky was too far forward to then receive the pass off and then you had a looper coming around inside so like they it was it was screwed from the beginning because he did not have the proper proper levels with the guard to handle that pass off which again is more of a communication thing but then if you look at uh The pressure that he gave up on a speed rush after that, it was a different problem, but for the same reason. Again, not getting enough depth, you know, kind of having like a baby kick set, almost like he's afraid of oversetting. He's afraid of getting too much depth. And so he's not getting enough depth and it's kind of forcing him into reaching and his punch timing is all off because it's coming from like a worse angle because he's not deep enough. Uh, and so, you know, they just dipped under it and got an easy pressure on him. Um, there was another communication issue that he had against the Giants where I think he thought the slide was going the other way, but it was actually coming to him. You know, they had a, like a load front away from him. And so he was acting like he was supposed to be picking up the inside threat. He was actually supposed to pick up the edge threat, gave up an easy pressure there, again, a communication issue. And then uh, against Kayvon, again, not getting enough depth in his kick set not explosive enough to get to his landmark and so it's throwing off his punch timing and Kayvon just did like a little push pull rip around the edge I don't know man I just I don't get I don't get great vibes because his set it just it this is going to sound hard without visuals maybe we'll throw up film while I've been talking about this It just looks like he's so afraid of oversetting and he's so afraid of giving up the inside window that he's giving up the outside window for free, which is arguably worse. And I I hope he can fix that before week one, because if he doesn't fix that before week one, Bryce is in trouble here. Like this is this is not good to not be able to trust your left tackle one on one outside. It's just not a good situation.
1: It is not. And it is time for a little bit of alliteration, which is a sophomore slump versus speed. And this is what happens when DCs, even in the preseason, I don't know if you've noticed this trend in the preseason this year, but like DCs are game planning preseason games.
0: I think it's because like, there's less of them. I right? think so. And so, so they're, they're 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 accelerating running the good stuff because like we gotta rep it. We gotta yep. we gotta see it. You and know? it used to be vanilla. Like you would
1: see base Everything base, offense, they a lot of times there were no stunts, very few twists, um, very little pre-snap rotation. Like that that stuff was not preseason fair. Like people wanted to A hide it from opponents, and B, they just wanted to keep assignments simple to try and have younger players, you know, play fast and not have too much on their plate mentally. That's out the window this year. We're seeing zero in the third quarter.
0: <laughs> We're seeing,
1: like, full rotations from, you know, middle field close to too high. Like, it's, it's on for everybody. And DCs are poking icky. Like, he had a very good freshman year, but they all went back to the book and said, where did people get him? And it's the outside of the arc. It's not the initial part. He makes decent initial contact, but when people – Like Kayvon, really have enough speed to get around him. It's that last third of the arc. And you talked about not getting enough depth, not being wide enough. And his tentativeness to really lunge into that kick step, you talked about maybe fear of oversetting. It reminds me of a baseball hitter who is struggling with a pitch. And then it Mm. just breaks everything. Right. They, they got gotten on a couple of really good curveballs. So they're like looking curveball, looking curveball. The pitcher knows it. And they just pipe them a fastball goes by belt high, you know, 95 miles an hour, easy pitch to hit in the majors. And he just looking at it because he was leaning for that curveball. He's waiting. And then he starts thinking about it. Oh, man, I just let a fastball go by. Wait, wait. Got to get the curveball. He's going to come back with the curveball. (laughs) Guy throws another pipe fastball, and the guy's just standing up there taking strikes right down the belt, and he's like – and now he's in his head, right? It's like a golfer that can't hit a putt, or he's shanking drives or whatever, kickers that miss a couple, right? You just start to see this guy, like, not know what to do, and then it throws off Icky's punch timing and everything else, and he just looks – discombobulated right now it started with one thing right started with that last third of the arc against speed rushers guys kind of poked him on that couple of communication issues thrown in i'm sure he got run over the coals in the film room about that and now you get this oh no wait i don't have any of it right i don't have the inside i don't have the outside i'm missing with my hands guys are getting on top of me a bunch of people are getting on me in the press and it just starts to snowball And he's got to get that cleaned up, whichever way it is. Private coach, offensive line coach, sitting down with a play caller saying, hey, how do we get this? And look, it's a preseason. You're rotating a lot of guys. Like you said, it was Chandler next to him in the second game. Wasn't in the first game. Different guy. Like, he's worked with Chandler a lot, so that's not the greatest example. But things happen lots of shit happens in the preseason for everybody not just linemen and especially with the line when you're trying to get those communication issues down and you've got a i'm not going to call it a physical issue because he certainly has enough talent to get out there just a technique issue we'll call it a technique issue and when you have that and they all start sticking together boy you can get in a bad place mentally and i'm with you if the whole Panthers line because Icky hasn't been the only problem like the Panthers line we said it's
0: been a mess (laughs) we said
1: this is a good this is a strength look at the last half of last year they're gonna build off this presumably and be better this is you know a rock to build the rest of the team off of. oh it hasn't looked like that in the preseason and if they don't get it together I was on Carolina radio yesterday and they said you know what do you think about all this I said well it better get it cleaned up pretty quick it's not just Icky he's getting a lot of the spotlight but if they have a slow start and these these sort of chinks in the armor sort of add up, right? If the offensive line is a little bit Civ like, Bryce gets hit a couple times, people start questioning the size again because they will. We saw DJ Chark looks like just a hamstring with Chark, but again, that receiver core is not super deep. It's all these little things. And it's not none of these are season enders, none of these are gloom and doom, but the NFL is so competitive. And they're in a very competitive division. All the divisions are competitive. You're going to bleed three or four games. And if you bleed three or four games early, uh, I mean, I know it's really good for Chicago in the draft pick. But, like, that's not great for Carolina moving forward. So they better get this cleaned up and get it cleaned up quick. Because if they come out of the gate slow and the
0: line is
1: the reason, that's a tough thing to hide.
0: Their first three games are against the Falcons, Saints, and Seahawks back-to-back-to-back, to back to back. Uh, three defenses that we expect to be quite formidable this year. So uh, we'll see, I guess. Yep. Get it fixed. Get good, kid. All right, what is your lie so far this preseason?
1: My lie, my uh, not not intentional untruth, uh, and it wasn't even that. It was more just a cooling. Rasheed Rice, wide receiver for Kansas City, formerly of SMU, during the draft process, lots of people were very hyped on him, and I thought he was a good and solid receiver that didn't vault to the level of the top guys, certainly in this draft. I thought he was going to be more of a mid-round guy. Lots of people were talking about him as an early-round guy, but what seems to be the difference between what he did in college and what he did on film, it looks like he's doing one more thing every route. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but it is a lot. And mm-hmm. Pat. So we'll just throw Pat into the mix because Pat is a, a great multiplier for wide receivers. But in Rasheed Rice's case, he looked good up to the catch point. He wasn't overly explosive afterwards. He wasn't overly elusive. Yak wasn't great. I mean, he got big yak on a lot of catches where he wasn't necessarily covered or, or won super cleanly. But anything that was more Uh, Sunday-like, league-like, where it was contested and the guy was on him. He'd, He'd catch it and he'd get a couple more yards and that was fine. He made the catch, which I like, but that's a third or fourth round wide receiver, not a first or second round wide receiver. Now he's adding like one more move, fake, or stab in the route, setting guys up a little bit more completely, getting a little bit more open. And afterwards, same thing, one more juke, burst, spin. And it's getting him those extra five or seven yards, whereas he used to get two or four, right? And the difference in total—and I don't know if this is coaching points or what it is exactly—but the difference in total has been stark. He has looked way better in Kansas City's preseason than he did on film at SMU. And,
0: and there were two Rasheed races, and you know we we made a point of this before the draft that when we were evaluating him we on purpose looked at the healthy games because there was some very unhealthy games that, you know, he was, he was maybe not even a hundred percent or not even 80%. He was like 65, 70% in a lot of those games. And we made sure that if we're going to judge him, we're going to judge him on the healthy games, even comparing him directly to the healthy games. You look at him right now. He is faster. He is more explosive. I think he's in better shape. Um, Which, you know, once you're in the NFL and you can focus a lot more of your time on your body, you know, because you're not trying to be a student and be an athlete at the same time. Now you're just an athlete. Um, But he does look physically better than he was at SMU, even when he was healthy at SMU. So I'll give him credit for that. Like he was ready to go. Great job by him. As a contested catcher, I had a lot of concerns about him. His contested catch percentage was like 25%. It was not good in college so far and we haven't had a huge sample size of real game snaps but so far based on what we're hearing about him at practice he's been very good in contested catch situations against some really good young dbs that they have there so he's a brand new player right now uh and i was right there with you i was kind of not high on him at all at smu uh and so far he's he's made both of us look like an idiot more power to him you know because the chiefs are in desperate need of more wide receiver help and and hopefully him and, and uh you know bootleg favorite Nico Remigio can can give them that in this rookie class.
1: Yeah, Remigio. Remigio got hurt and that's the worst thing ever. But you know, he did? You know Yeah. How bad? Uh I don't know how bad. I don't know if it's a whole year or oh, not. Oh, I missed it, that. Yeah, no, it was a sad day. It's been a sad day for receiver injuries in the preseason. It's always sad with anybody getting injured in the preseason, but this year that, that drumbeat, I, th- I think part of it is the spotlight, right? There's so much attention now, and joint practices are televised, and there's you know a million NFL inside reporters. And so anybody getting dinged or riding on a cart uh, is the end of the world these days. But um, you know what Rasheed Rice's transformation reminds me of a little bit that made me giggle? I was thinking of this huh. when you we were talking. You know that kid you knew in high school that was kind of like – nondescript and then when they went to college they just decided to like reinvent themselves you know start going by their middle name slicking their hair (laughs) back right got a different car They came home on the first break and you're like who the hell are you and they're like no i'm balling now like it's legit it's on (laughs) and you're like all right man more power to you feels a little bit like that and i know it's i know it was injury based as well but um yeah he's he's got the glow up going on for sure
0: we love it we love to see young young kids be successful in the league and you know hopefully make a lot of money and change their life you know i don't mind being wrong because if i'm wrong that means he's successful so and we see better football for that and we see better football you know the nfl's uh the nfl's in a good spot when the chiefs are uh you know being the chiefs (laughs) you know and providing us with great primetime matchups so uh yeah i don't know that was uh a lot less, uh, a lot less painful than I thought it would be. You
1: know? <laughs> well, it's when you don't have to like stack everybody and rank everybody, which really carries over from draft season all the way through all the, you know, all the off season content we created. And by the way, through all the off season content we've created, we need to say a very big thank you to the audience because you all out there who watched all that stuff, a, have grown our audience tremendously and made us a top. Ten national partner with homage since we started that series
0: how How about about it
1: right so as a result they're starting to feed us the good stuff early so we get to drop a little announcement for you all this is homage's third year working with starter y'all know the starter satin jackets 80s classics they sell out every year well they're going to have more inventory this year and they are also going to have earlier release dates and That's more inventory across all markets, but that's not the really cool part. The really cool part is because they've had so much success with Starter, Starter is dropping blackout satin versions of their Starter jackets for nine select teams. Now, we don't get to announce the teams yet, but if you want, Not a a one-of-a-kind, but a limited series blackout satin starter jacket for your team. You better be on Homage's website, Homage.com. Early in September, look for those to the drop. They are 100% going to sell out. Even the regular versions sell out, but you do have a better chance this year because, again, they're going to have more inventory for all teams. And, again, use the code down in the description. Any purchase you make through Homage, whether it's one of those kick-ass jackets, a really cool sweatshirt the Seahawks throwback one or a t-shirt for your team helps support the podcast. So keep it up because you have all taken to that cause, uh, with vigor and we can't thank you enough.
0: Are we able to get a couple of those starters for ourselves? Can we, can we set a couple aside? Um,
1: yeah, don't look at the checking account. No. Uh, (laughs) why do you keep
0: spending our money?
1: (laughs) No, 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 I didn't, I didn't spend any, um, homage because they are so limited. Uh, They didn't offer us one of the really kick-ass black satin ones, but they did offer us one starter jacket.
0: Only one? What did you do, EJ? You just keep doing (laughs) shit without talking
1: to me. (laughs) This reminds me of Ghostbusters. What did you do? Uh no, I haven't done anything yet, but we, we can get ourselves a, a starter jacket if we want to. Plus, we're gonna get a we're gonna get a bunch of new fresh gear for the season. I have to get that list from you uh, of what you want, because I know what I want, but we're gonna get even more cool, fresh um homage duds. We wore them all summer. If you watched any of the preview episodes, you probably saw us rocking one or both. Um love that stuff. Love them. They're a great partner.
0: Keep supporting them, keep supporting us. EJ is Beth our accountant's worst enemy apparently. Oh <laughs> well, Beth is my best friend. <laughs> She's like what'd you do now? God. Yeah.
1: <laughs> It'll all be worth it. I promise you. The first time you come up here and record in the new studio and it will be a studio when it's done. It's not just a little cave made out of drywall anymore like uh
0: yeah. Well, you know, you did this. This is your fault. Oh, I got I you know, I showed you What it's like when we do nice lighting and we invest in cameras and we get new mics and tripods and you're like, yo, that's a good idea. Let's do that all the time forever. That part?
1: Yes. But you moved to downtown LA. Very true. (laughs) And you have glass and steel from the X floor. And I had this behind me. It was going to be real stark starting off this season. I had to compete. (laughs) I am not scared to compete. I had to compete. I don't know if I'll hit that level. I'm maybe one of those quarterbacks that's good in the middle enough. If the rest of the team around me is pretty good, can't compete with the LA skyline, but I'm not going to get skunked.
0: So, so you're uh, you're the Aiden O'Connell of podcasts, is what you're saying?
1: Oh, dude, if I was as good as Aiden, man, did you see his shirt? No. Uh, he he was wearing a T-shirt, rocking it, and it said, "I may look like Favre, but I play like Favre."
0: like from super troopers
1: from super troopers
0: (laughs) oh that's good that's good
1: so beautiful like if i had half as much game as aiden uh this podcast would be the most popular podcast in the world but gotta say fastest growing football podcast in the country
0: this summer damn close to it i mean are in the running at least we were just behind in terms of subscriptions added we weren't that far behind like uh mcafee i think mcafee (laughs) added like (laughs) which i know sounds insane well i mean you know if that's the competition
1: that you're even bringing up in conversation we're going the right direction and it's because of you all
0: we will never be as big as pat but that's also for a reason because we're not as good at our jobs as bad, so. No, no, we're not <laughs> again we're, we're okay with being the Aiden O'Connell of football podcasts here. That's, that, right. That's, that's right that's that's a living you know EJ can can build out a studio and, and provide for his family as long as we're as good as Aiden O'Connell so indeed uh anyway I'm gonna get out of here because I gotta go do a stream for our good buddies over at underdog and then I'm gonna you're go you're the- you're you're going to get a bagel you're going to get a bagel <laughs> I know what you're doing first of all I've already had my bagel for the day and it was so ridiculous. I'm so sad. It was so fucking good. I know. And I'm gonna, you're, I'm gonna you're get
1: ruined forever now.
0: Oh God, yeah. yeah. No, it, it. Nothing else compares. It's, no, not, it's even not even close. close. Just round bread everywhere else. I was asking for bagel recommendations uh, before I even got here, and there were people that were like, "It, you don't survive in New York with bad bagels." So you can go literally anywhere, and it's gonna be great. And they weren't lying. Yep. It's been amazing. So, yeah, it's being—it's
1: like being in Japan and trying to make bad rice. Like you'll be out of business in like three weeks.
0: <laughs> like doesn't work. All right. Well, I'm gonna get out of here. Go do a stream for uh, for our friends over at Underdog. Uh, we appreciate everybody who who watched this whole thing, feeding the algorithm gods. We we love you. Uh, I want to thank our executive producers over in the Patreon executive producer tier: Marat, Konsti, Andrew, Liam, Connor, and Mike L. We appreciate all of you uh, once again sticking around for another hopefully very good NFL season. We'll be back next week with some season predictions, you know, taking in everything that we uh, talked about over summer as well as some of the new information that we've gotten so far this August for the preseason. So we'll be doing season predictions on the next show. And I uh, hope you join us for that one. We'll see you all very, very soon.